Well, good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to worship uh, here in our harvest service this morning. It's lovely to see you along. The church is looking a wee bit fuller today, so it's encouraging to me to look out and see uh, some more faces back this morning. Lovely to see you. Um, we just have a few announcements before we begin our worship. Uh, next Saturday, the 9th at 2 o'clock, there's going to be a wee team coming from the Eco Committee uh, to do some work on the, the borders at the side of the new annex. So if you have some uh, some plants, some shrubs, some bulbs that you want to bring. I know that uh, Caroline and Alan and the team would love to, to see you along and have your help and involvement. So do come ready to do a turn of work, wear your wellies, bring your shovels and your spades, whatever else. Uh, and that's two o'clock Saturday, the 9th of October. Um, thanks to those of you who've brought along uh, some goods this morning. What I encourage you to do, if you still have them in your pews, just bring them in and set them along the front here, the front pew, and we'll get them up to Ellen Food Bank in the week as part of our harvest offering. And then just to remind you that the Kirk session is uh, this Thursday at 7.30 in the Forsyth Hall, the usual time, half past seven this Thursday. Uh, and for those of you who come to House Group, if you haven't had a chance to get a copy of the book that we're using, there are some in the vestry this morning. The cost is £10. Just take a book and you can pass the money on to me uh, when you are able to. So those are all our announcements. So let's begin our worship this morning as we sing to God's praise. Hymn number 147, All Creatures of Our God and King. And we'll sing verses 1 to 4 and then verse 7.
Let's come before God, our Creator, in prayer. Let us pray. Creator God, Father, Son, and Spirit, from every corner of your world, prayers spoken and unspoken are rising to you from the hearts of grateful people, people who have found in you the bedrock upon which to build their lives. Your love and compassion never end, Lord God. And so we lift up our hearts and our voices and bring you the praise and thanks that is due to you as our God and our King. We thank you for our world and all the beauty of creation, for the blessing of harvest time and the assurance that under your watchful eye, the cycle of seasons will never fail. We praise you for the life that you've given us with its joys and its sorrows. Help us to walk the road you've called us to walk with diligence, joy, and wisdom. And we bless you for Jesus, for the new life that you offer through him for your love on which we can always depend. And in a moment's silence and the stillness of our hearts, we pause together to give thanks for the way that a place or a person or something that has touched our senses has made us aware of your closeness this week. Almighty God, you are close, yet still mysterious, loving and yet beyond our understanding. We know that sometimes our words fall short as we try to describe you, and sometimes our lives fall short as we try to show your love and goodness to others. Forgive us for the ways we sin through ignorance negligence and our own deliberate fault. Help us through your spirit to learn the self-control we need to avoid hurting others, ourselves, our world and you. And give us the strength of character to choose the tough path that leads to peace and contentment rather than this smooth one, which ends up in destruction. Gracious God, accept our worship this morning. Refresh our hearts with your presence. Deepen our faith. Strengthen our commitment and broaden our vision so we might grow as your people and play our part in working for your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. 
Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 104, and reading verses 10 to 15. And Marion Reed is going to read for us. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. Amen. Thanks, Marion. We're going to sing together again. It's number uh, 229, one of the traditional hymns that we sing at harvest. We plough the fields and scatter.
Let's take a moment to pray together. Let's pray. Lord, throughout generations, people have wondered at the beauty and the fecundity of creation, the goodness that comes from soil and earth and sun, the productivity, and marveled that it happens at all, not understanding, just accepting and being grateful for it. Lord, the miracle of creation isn't consigned to a period in time many, many years ago. Creation is ongoing, and we know this just by looking around us in this beautiful part of the world in which we live. But your creation of us is ongoing too. And we, if we choose, can be willing participants in that creation, working with you in the process of becoming all that you want us to be and by grace one day shall make us. And our being here, whether in this building or joining online, is a part of that process, our participation in your ongoing creation. So be with us this morning and help us to hear what it is that we need to hear from your word today. Because we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There's a story told about a young minister who was new to the parish and he was out making his rounds in the village when he saw an old fellow digging away in his garden. And they stopped to talk. And the old man asked if the minister would like a tour of his garden because it was his pride and joy, and the minister agreed. And first the old boy took him to the vegetable patch that was overflowing with carrots and lettuce and potatoes and cauliflower. And the minister, suitably impressed, said, Isn't God's abundance incredible? And the old chap just smiled and nodded. And then they went to view the old man's prize roses. And as he leaned in to smell their fragrance, the minister exclaimed, Isn't God's creation beautiful? And this time the old man just grunted in response. Finally, they went to take in his beautiful borders, which were a riot of colour. And the man, the minister said, Isn't God a wonderful artist? Now, by this stage, the old fellow had had enough of the minister's piety. So he says, Aye, God's amazing right enough, but... You ought to see the mess of the place when leave it all up to him. <laughs> Today in our harvest Thanksgiving service, we're celebrating what we could think of as a working partnership. God in creation provides the potential and the conditions for growth and with ingenuity and hard work, humanity harnesses that potential in a thousand different ways to put food on the table. That's the partnership that we see reflected in this morning's reading from Psalm 104 and also in many of the traditional hymns that we sing at this time of year which were penned in days when we were a more agrarian society. The psalmist says he makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for men to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth. 
We plough the fields and scatter the good seed in the land, says the hymn, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. It's a partnership. A partnership whose rhythms of sowing and waiting and reaping and thanking are as old as human civilization itself, crossing all divides of race, creed, and geography. And long before chapel, pew, and prayer book, synagogue, mosque, and temple, long before we had a name to put to our unseen God, our ancestors raised their monoliths and they built their altars with a mixture of hope and fear and reverence because they knew the contingency of life and the utter necessity of a good harvest. So this festival of harvest thanksgiving has deep roots both in faith and in human experience. It connects us with forces and powers that are beyond our control, rain, sunshine, fertility, divine providence, and that invites humility on our part. And it joins us to the hidden life of the earth in all its beauty and complexity. And that invites gratitude and wonder. As the writer Maria Bolding poetically reminds us, the dying leaves of a hundred million autumns have formed the soil from which our crops spring. To sink a blade into the ground is to slice through time itself. And so for me, harvest celebration is never very far from harvest contemplation. The mystery and the wonder of creation are never far beneath the surface. In fact, I go so far as to suggest that creation and our tending of it are almost sacramental in nature. We're used to thinking of sacraments as specific acts that the church performs in response to the commands of Jesus. So he told us to baptize and we baptize. He told us to take bread and wine and we take bread and wine and remember him. That's what we do in communion. But in a broader sense, a sacrament is anything in the physical realm that opens up to us the realities of the spiritual realm. So in Protestant tradition, there's no magic in the waters of baptism. There's no magic in the bread and wine that we eat in communion. But God in his grace takes these very ordinary things and uses them to speak to our hearts and souls, to communicate spiritual truth to us through the everyday. And it's the same with creation. There's something about creation that invites wonder and brings us closer to an awareness of God. And I believe that's a universal experience for the believer and the unbeliever alike. And it could be almost anything in creation that moves us. The bloom of a rose, catching the smell of freshly baked bread or a peat fire on a cold winter's evening. The swell of a woman's body as a child begins to grow inside her, or an hour spent happily stargazing, or exploring the woods, or watching the rise and fall of the ocean. These things invite wonder, and as Thomas Carlyle once said, wonder is the basis of worship.
And I know you've had those kinds of moments, although they'll be, they'll be different for all of us. But I believe they're a gift from God. They're rumors of glory to stir your hearts to look for the God whom you were created to know. The Creator calling out to His creation. Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote that the world is charged with the grandeur of God. And when we encounter that grandeur and begin to respond to it, it starts to change our perspective on life, on who we are and what we're for. President Teddy Roosevelt would often go camping with his friend, the naturalist William Beebe. And when they struck camp, they would sit and gaze at the stars. And they had this little routine that they got into. They would look for the constellation of Pegasus, and then they would locate a tiny pinprick of light beside it. And together they'd say, that is the spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. And they'd think about that for a moment. And then Roosevelt would say, I think we feel small enough now, Bill. Let's turn in for the night. Wonder invites humility. And although we live in an age when science and religion seem to be at loggerheads much of the time, it strikes me that the best scientists and the best believers demonstrate a degree of humility about the limits of their knowledge. Isaac Newton was a man of faith and undoubtedly the greatest scientist and mathematician of his generation. And these words of his have always been dear to me. He wrote, I do not know what I may appear to be to the world, but to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself in now and then finding a smoother pebble or a prettier shell than ordinary, whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. He's saying that no matter how clever we may think we are or how much of the truth we think we possess, there is always more to learn in this marvellous God-given world if we're ready to keep an open mind. In a sceptical age, a scientific age, a hymn which suggests that the fields we plough are fed and watered by God's almighty hand, will draw all kinds of ridicule. But we can't blame 18th century hymn writers for writing with an 18th century sensibility. Instead, we ought to focus on the deeper truths that they were trying to get across in their own way, that as long as human beings have lived in this earth, the glories of creation have stirred a deep wonder within us. They've kept us humble, aware of our limitation and our vulnerability. And like a sacrament, they've pointed us back to the God who is the source and origin of everything that has been made. And the invisible God, to whom our ancestors reached out in their unknowing, hasn't left us alone and wandering in the universe. He has come to us in flesh and blood in the one that we call the Christ. 
In him, the creator stepped into and redeemed his creation. And of him, the apostle Paul wrote these magnificent words with which I'll close. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The God that we didn't know, the God that we reached out to in our unknowing, the God who we could sense around us in the wonder of everything that had been made, we now know his name. We have seen his face. He is Christ the Lord, creator, redeemer, Ali Kirkshank is going to come now and lead us in our prayers for others. Dear Lord, we give thanks for all your creation, which provides so many different harvests. We have to give you thanks for the skies. In this, I include the sun and the wind and the rain. The atmosphere around the earth has been described as a miracle with the correct balance of gases and water to sustain life and with us just and, and with the sun just situated at the right distance from us provides heat and light and photosynthesis with which we have the unique combination of ingredients for us to exist. The wind in the past has been great, a great source of power and now it has been harvested again thankfully. We give thanks also for the harvest of the sea, of all the different fish and shellfish. We give thanks for the harvest of the soil, all the fruit and vegetables we eat, and also the grain and fossils such as rice, maize, wheat, barley, oats, peas, beans, and soya bean, which feed your world's population, as well as the farm animals, which in turn provide us with food. We also give thanks for the harvest of the ground, the oil, the gas, the minerals that provide us with energy, plastic, fertilizers, steel, construction materials, and hundreds of other things that we take for granted in our daily lives. We pray that in the future that we can use them more wisely to protect your environment and your wonderful creation. We remember those who have lost their lives bringing these different harvests to us, the fishermen, farmers, miners, oil workers, and others who have died while working in these dangerous environments. We pray for them and their families. Here in the northeast of Scotland, we give thanks for the joy of watching our crops grow, mature, ripen, then the smell of the wheat and barley being combined and the satisfaction of a good crop gathered in. We also give thanks to be able to work with your creation in the form of livestock on the farms and marvel at the wonder of new life and the joy of watching animals suckle and grow and thrive. But we also pray for the farmers around the world whose crops have failed due to drought or disease, meaning that they have no food or income. 
We also pray for the farmers who are unable to harvest their crops due to the labor shortages, meaning that their crops are left to rot in the fields. We also pray for the livestock farmers who are unable to sell their fat stock because of labor shortages at the processing plants. In this time of uncertainty for ourselves, we pray for all the people in the world whose only concern in life is to find the next meal for their family. We pray that these people are not forgotten, that in the future, the harvest of your creation can be shared more evenly amongst your people of the world. Amen. Thanks, Sally. It's been particularly nice to have two folk who work close uh, to the land doing both the reading and the, and the prayer today, and indeed on the door, and beadling as well. Uh, so thank you for, I think we should say, in fact, let's just do this, let's just say we word of thanks to our farmers for all the work that they put in on our behalf. Let's just give them a round of applause. Just now. now, I hadn't planned this, but I see we've got some young fry in the church today, the Van Niekerks. Young, young and young at heart are, uh, are here today. Lovely to see you. Hi, Carol. Hi, Lena. Um, one of the things I noticed when I first came up to the Northeast, which wasn't it yesterday, to be honest, was um, something I hadn't really seen before, which was these lovely fields that were yellow. I'd never seen these big yellow fields before, really, till I came up to the Northeast. Do you know what it is that they grow? What is it that's growing that's that lovely yellow color that you get? Anybody know? We might need the grown-ups to... Carl, do you think you know? Buttercups. Good, good suggestion. Buttercups are the right colour. That's exactly the right colour. And did you know that if you hold a buttercup under your chin, if it goes yellow in your chin, that means you like butter? Did you know that? That's what my dad told me. Fool that I was. Um, uh, no, not buttercups, but good suggestion. Daffodils, again! Exactly the right colour. You are on this. You've got the colour right. But that's not what they were growing in the fields. I'm putting you in the spot, Lena. Do you have any ideas? Will we ask the grown-ups? Well done. Yeah, rapeseed oil. That's right. Rapeseed. So that's this, these amazing, lovely yellow fields everywhere. I love kind of seeing them. A lot of places have it with my wife's hay fever, I think, um, when, when they start to come out. Um, beautiful. Beautiful. But I was in France many years ago, and they had these amazing yellow fields, but it wasn't oilseed rape that they were growing. I wonder if you can guess what they were growing in France that was also yellow, these massive fields full of yellow things that were growing. Yes, Carl. Good man, sunflowers, that's right. These massive, big, tall sunflowers. And the fields were just gorgeous, filled with these yellow sunflowers. But I noticed something really interesting about the sunflowers. Because you would drive past them at one point of the day, and they would be facing this way. And then you would drive past later in the day, and they would have turned. They turned. Why do you think they were turning? Do you get any ideas? What do you think? No, the wind. That's a good suggestion, but no, it wasn't the wind. It was something else. The sunflowers knew what they were doing. They were following something throughout the day. I wonder what they were following. Grown-ups, what do you think they were following? The sun. That's right. Sunflowers follow the sun. So as the sun goes across the sky during the day, they like being in the sun, so they just turn to follow the sun. So they're getting more and more of the energy throughout the day. Really, really clever flowers, yeah? 
And a, a thing I found out at the time we were in France is that the word in French for sunflower is tournesol, which means turns to the sun. Tournesol. That's what they call them uh, in France. And I've always thought that's a lovely picture for what we should be like with God. We kind of, we come to, you know, we come to church maybe for an hour on a Sunday, but we don't kind of stay and face in that direction. We try to follow God, not just on a Sunday, but we try to follow God all day in all the things that we're doing, in all the ways that we're living. And that's the way that we take in more of God's goodness and more energy so that we can give it out to the people around us. So remember that. I want you all to be turnsaws. Don't just stay stuck in the one place. Follow God throughout your day and let's see what happens. I think good things will happen if we can learn to do that more and more. going to finish our service now in the words of hymn 154, How Great Thou Art. Let's worship God together.
And now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.